everybody, and welcome to the 1853 podcast of Monmouth College. I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing. This is the 1853 podcast, a weekly program we produce throughout the academic year in which we tell you about the people, events, programs, and history that make Monmouth an outstanding national liberal arts college. In this 10th edition of season number five, we'll meet some great legal minds at Monmouth. They competed in the college's 11th moot court competition. And Tamara Rankin will preview the upcoming production of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. That joint production with the Buchanan Center for the Arts will be presented November 18 through the 21st at the Wells Theater. The evening of November 10th was a big night on the Monmouth College campus in Glennie Gymnasium. The Monmouth men's basketball team squared off against Loris College. And over in the Morgan Room in Polling Hall, the Battle of the Brains took place in the 11th edition of Monmouth's Moot Court Competition. Monmouth's Moot Court Competition opened this year on November 6th with students competing in the preliminary round. Then finals were held on November 10, with four students competing for the top prizes. Matthew Datloff, a senior from Las Vegas, won both of the top honors. He wrote the top legal brief, and he was named the top advocate. Monmouth political science professor Andre Audet says that moot court offers students a lot of advantages, and this year's case was an especially challenging one to them. Moot court is a competition similar to mock trial, where students get the opportunity to act as lawyers to argue a case before the Supreme Court. The difference between moot court and mock trial is that moot court deals with appellate cases, which this case was. This case uh, posed two questions uh, related to a case in 2006 of whether the Solomon Amendment, which required equal access for military recruiters in law schools um, was unconstitutional. A group of law schools believed that the the Solomon Amendment um, compelled their speech and violated their rights of, as an expressive association because at the time the U.S. military had a policy of don't ask, don't tell, which barred anyone who was openly gay from serving in the United States military. As I mentioned, Matthew Datloff, who's a political science major, took the top prizes this year. He swept them. He's competed in moot court competition for all four years. He's been at the college. He won last year's prize. In fact, for the top legal brief, Matthew says that moot court has helped him grow in several ways. Again, it's my fourth year. The other three years I did fall short, so it does feel very good to win this year. I worked very hard, and it's a fantastic opportunity that Monmouth does provide to its students. And the presentation standpoint, all the criticisms that you receive all the years, you start to kind of implement all of them. So as I've gone through moot court the four years, my public speaking has become better. And that's applicable for, you know, my career, but it's applicable for daily life. You have to speak to people. So being able to speak clearly in a concise manner and with a good cadence is something I've been working on for the last few years. Um, also, it's been very useful to help me with my thinking. I mean, you have a lot of things to process. You have to think of the argument in a holistic way. It's very easy to kind of get down the weeds and only think about your side. And so being able to write these briefs, argue these cases, you have to consider things very carefully when you do make your arguments. 
Owen Manny Davies is a political science junior from Plainfield, Illinois. He also competed in this year's moot court competition finals. It was his second time to compete in moot court, and Owen says he's learned a lot about himself as well as the topic that was debated. Well, I've learned a lot about handling the the courtroom aspect of it and really just in calming myself. I think there's a lot to learn about being in a high-pressure situation, which to me this is, and I've developed in that from last year and now this year as well. Well, this case uh, was actually quite fascinating because there is an interesting consideration to make with the Solomon Amendment in that we're taking funding away from these law schools and really in whether that is a violation of their freedom to speech. So I've learned a lot about some of the other cases that were mentioned and were used as precedent for this case. Grant Miller is a computer science and mathematics senior from Aurora, Colorado. He also competed in the final round of moot court. Grant says he might attend law school after Monmouth thanks to his experiences in moot court. He's twice competed in the competition. I think it's helped my public speaking. It's helped my ability to perform in high pressure situations and just generally helped me to control my nerves and learn about interesting topics like the case here. In studying this year's moot court case, Grant says he learned a lot more about the First Amendment as well. Yeah, I think one aspect of it that's very interesting is the idea that the First Amendment is not all encompassing and there are certain balances that have to be taken between the First Amendment and other issues. I thought that was interesting and a little bit surprising to me. What's great about Mammoth's moot court competition is that several Mammoth alumni not only support the program, but they also serve as its judges. Members of the region's legal community also serve as judges. And as Andre Audet, the political science professor, points out, it's rare for moot court to be offered to undergraduate students in college. He says it's given Mammoth students a leg up when it comes to applying to law school. So most law schools do have a moot court competition. It is pretty rare that undergraduate institutions have a moot court competition. So that's something that we're especially proud to be able to offer. And our students take a lot away from it. They pick up a lot of really important skills in speaking, communication, uh, being able to deliver an argument. And on top of that, those who do decide to pursue law um, get a special advantage from this in that when they go to law school, they've had the opportunity to argue cases, especially appellate cases, and uh, if they do participate in moot court afterwards, uh, they have this experience. And we've had a number of students who go on to law school and do participate in moot court activities because they've had this experience at Monmouth College. That's Monmouth political science professor Andre Audette. You also heard from students Grant Miller, Owen Manny Davis, and champion Matthew Datloff. They were three of the four students who made it to the final round of the 11th annual Moot Court competition at Monmouth College. You can check out pictures from this year's Moot Court competition on the Monmouth College Flickr page. That's flickr.com slash College. And pretty soon, on the news page in the news and events section, a story will be posted about this year's moot court competition. And of course, that address is monmouthcollege.edu slash news. 
This is the 1853 podcast of Monmouth College. I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing. Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol will return to the stage of the Wells Theater from November 18th through the 21st. The play is a co-production with the Buchanan Center for the Arts, and it's directed by Tamara Rankin. You can purchase tickets for A Christmas Carol at the box office, or you can go online monmouthcollege.edu slash box hyphen office is the address. Tamara Rankin says this is the first time she's directed A Christmas Carol. She says she's directing an adaptation that does a great job capturing the spirit of Dickens. So this is my first experience with Christmas Carol, but it's a classic and um, I really love the adaptation that was selected for this Christmas Carol because there are many adaptations out there, some of them better than others. This one is particularly good, and um, uh, I, I think it captures everything that Christmas Carol has to offer. It has the drama, it has the scariness, and it's not too saccharine, if you understand what I mean. Some of them are so, so, so sweet that um, you lose something in the interpretation and what Dickens really wanted to portray in the in the series that he wrote. Because A Christmas Carol is a joint production with the Buchanan Center for the Arts, the cast includes members from both the college and the greater community. Hamera says that the quality of this year's cast has been an early Christmas gift to her. Oh, you cannot... I find myself at night thinking, how in the world did we end up with this much talent and devotion, as particularly... You know, among the, the the very young in the cast, they're so devoted. I told them we were on short. You know, we had short notice. We have a very short rehearsal schedule, and I explained to them, "You're going to have to have your lines memorized long before you normally would, because we've lost so you know several days, a couple of weeks of rehearsal." I didn't. I never hear anybody complain. Nobody says, I can't do it. Nobody says, oh, how am I going to do it? They are just there. They're on the spot. They're usually at rehearsal before I get there. They usually beat me to it. They're, um, we have kids all the way from, I think our youngest is 12. And of course, Doug is 64. So we have everybody in between. We have people, we have middle school students and we have uh, some really great local actors who who very often are in the Monmouth BCA Christmas or uh, community plays. And then we, so we have talent we pulled from Galesburg. Um, the adults in the show are just marvelous. We have a lot of rookies, a lot of people. This is their first show. And we have a family that's come, and this is their first show. So they have a, a young son involved, and then the mom and the dad volunteered when they could see that we were having some casting issues. They, they stepped right up. They said, well, we'll do it, but you'll have to show us what to do. So, yeah, the cast is absolutely wonderful. Look, Monmouth College students, the theater majors and the theater minors who are participating, you can clearly see the um, training that they've had. You can, you can just see it in how organized they are and how they have uh, they have particular things they do with their scripts that I just find fascinating the, the, they've just been taught these things 
So, yeah, the cast is is fantastic. You're listening to the 1853 podcast of Monmouth College. I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Office of Communications and Marketing. We're visiting with Tamara Rankin. She's the director of A Christmas Carol, which will be presented November 18th through the 21st at the Wells Theater. Scholars have argued that in many ways, Dickens' Christmas Carol saved Christmas, or at least Christmas as we know it. I think that's very true, and I I talked to the cast about that, and um, and Mel Delbridge, our uh, dramaturg, she also brought up the same point, that Christmas was going through some real... (laughs) A difficult time, but it hadn't been really observed in a traditional way, or what we would consider a traditional way. For several years, there were there was a, a lot going on around that time, and so um, people were sort of moving from the traditional sorts of Christmas we think a courier and Ives and that kind of thing, and they were moving away from that, and they were adopting new traditions. Um, Families were separated by great distances, and so there were a lot of the family gathering sorts of things had gone out the window. There was some modernization and uh, some secularism creeping into the Christmas celebration. So Dickens actually set up, kind of set a bar about what Christmas really should mean to people, and um, that would be family gathering, even if you can't be together, to communicate some way with each other. Christmas cards became a thing. So because people were spread out all over the country, they um, they, they started sending Christmas cards and they were originally like little postcards and that sort of so that sort of thing. And then the um, uh, sort of the, the foods that we associate with Christmas as gooses and turkeys, those, or at least that's what they associated with them in England, those became a big part of uh, what we consider Christmas dinner here, even in the, in the United States now. We, you know, we have the Christmas goose, we have the Christmas turkey. And so, yeah, he did get people reinvolved in Christmas and Christmas's traditions or... I guess I couldn't call them traditions because they had sort of been transplanted and they'd sort of been um, updated a little, uh, especially in America, particularly in North America. So, uh, but he did set the standard for what would come after, what would come the night before Christmas, you know, was released much later. And uh, when you think of Christmas, you know, that there's nobody mentioned in, there's nobody called Santa Claus in uh, Christmas Carol. That came along much later, but. I think it's accurate to say that he did save Christmas, or at least he revived Christmas. Of course, Ebenezer Scrooge is the central character in A Christmas Carol. Tamara says that Scrooge is one of the reasons A Christmas Carol is such an enduring story. His character has so many layers and is somebody that a lot of people in some way can relate to. I, I think Scrooge is the most interesting character. He He's, he's the classic redemption story, and uh, every, every version of Christmas Carol, every Hallmark version, every uh, Disney version, everything hinges on his redemption, and that is a point that has to be made. And another reason for the story's success is because it's a tale told in a classic way, in a classic setting, and a lot of people can relate to that, Tamara says. It's it's originally and I think fundamentally a ghost story. And if you read the, the original 
the original Dickens, he describes it as that. And the first thing he says is, you have to understand Marley is dead or you won't get anything else I say about this. And, uh, and Doug and I had this conversation last night, too, that it is fundamentally a ghost story and uh, with a redeeming quality about it. It's not a ghost story where they come and no, hide in the basement. It's nothing like that. It's a ghost story about your ghost. What kind of ghosts are you leaving behind on the world? In other words, what kind of print are you leaving when you depart? That's Tamara Rankin. She's directing A Christmas Carol, which will be presented in partnership with the Buchanan Center for the Arts from November 18th to the 21st at the Wells Theater. To get your tickets, you can visit the Wells Theater box office or point your browser to monmouthcollege.edu slash box hyphen office. And that's going to be a 30 for this 10th edition of Mammoth College's 1853 podcast of the 2021-2022 school year. I hope you've enjoyed this program. Tell us what you think by firing off an email to us at news at monmouthcollege.edu. Be sure to put podcast in the subject line. Until our next edition, this is Dwayne Bonifer in the Mammoth College Office of Communications and Marketing. So long, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Have a nice day and stay healthy.